Everything. It's a kung fu. It's a kung fu. It's a kung fu. Alright, welcome to Everything is Kung Fu. I'm Santanu Raman. I am the director for Austin Kung Fu Academy. And I've decided to start this new podcast, Everything is Kung Fu. This is the first official episode. Official. <laughs> you speak into a mic, record it, and post it. <laughs> Those are the basics. Anyway, so I wanted to talk today about this book that I just read that I absolutely love. It's called Nonviolent Communication by Marshall B. Rosenberg. It's an old book. It's been around for a long time. Um, these ideas are not like some brand new revelation, but it's new to me. I haven't really dug into this idea before at all. And so as I read the book, a physical book, not an e-book, um, I highlighted parts as I went through. So I'd like to, you know, just kind of share some of these things that didn't really plan this out. I'm just kind of going off the cuff, kind of stream of consciousness as I go through it. But before I do, I just want to talk uh, real quickly about the idea of violence and martial arts. Um, <clears throat> those two, those two ideas, are you know, culturally very linked, right? Martial arts is a, seen, especially here in America, predominantly as a form of self-defense and how to dominate over another person who potentially is attacking you. So that's the more sort of, I guess, mainstream view of martial arts. But if you go into the martial arts industry and you look at at the numbers of what makes up a school's, you know, highest <laughs> dollar tuition, that it's children, teaching children. And generally, parents, you know, they would like their children to defend themselves, but what do they really want? For the children, they want kids who are more confident and more focused. That's basically what it comes down to. So a little less to do with violence and more to do with just building yourself to be able to navigate through society in a harmonious way, really. Um, let, me, let me go into this book, Nonviolent Communications, and I'll just read to you just some of these highlighted parts. The whole concept of nonviolent communications, if I were to distill it, is basically to be able to identify feelings and the needs or unmet needs behind those feelings. Now, the, these needs and unmet needs are universal. They're not like, you know, well, I need like a million dollars. That's not really a need. What are you really needing? Like, you know, like, is it a sense of safety? Uh, is it uh, is it a sense of nurturing? You know what what are you needing as far as uh, your your needs as a human goes that that is universal. So and based off of that, feelings. So feelings happen. And so when you are talking to someone, you're not necessarily hanging on to their every word literally. You're trying to identify the feelings behind what they're saying and and once you've identified the feelings then you go after you start trying to figure out 
the needs or unmet needs that led to that feeling. Okay, so that's sort of the premise. And you can do this to yourself, by the way. This, is, this can be a whole internal process where you're like, okay, I'm feeling, so I'm feeling kind of off. So what's my feeling? Okay, I'm feeling angered. And why am I angry? Well, because of whatever the unmet need is. Okay, so, so that's kind of the basis for nonviolent communications. I want to just read to you these highlighted parts because I think that it, can really lend itself to some great insights. And you don't even have to read the book right now. Just just hearing these paragraphs or these sentences that I read should hopefully spark just kind of a reaction. I hope it does. So the first one I highlighted is this. Our attention is focused on classifying, analyzing, and determining levels of wrongness rather than on what we and others need and are not getting, yeah? We have a whole culture based on, you know, finding what's wrong and then trying to fix what's wrong, right? So when we're focusing on that, we're, we're not really looking at needs. So, so that's, that's what... Uh, Rosenberg is, is trying to say on that one. Um, so here's another one. He says, if people do agree to act in harmony with our values, they will likely do so out of fear, guilt, or shame because they concur with our analysis of their wrongness. Uh-huh. That, so this is, this, this is in reference to if, if we actually do get someone to do what we say you know so let me read that again if people do agree to act in harmony do what we say <laughs> with our values they will likely do so out of fear guilt or shame because they concur they agree with our analysis of their wrongness like you're wrong for wanting doing x y and z and i'm right so hopefully you feel f you feel fear, guilt, and shame about it, so you will comply. Yeah, that's that will never end in a very positive result. This one is in the topic of denial of responsibility. Hopefully that makes sense when I say denial of responsibility. Like, you know, not owning up to what your feelings are or what your needs or unmet needs are. In other words, externalizing it on someone else. So anyway, so what he's, here's, here's what he says that I highlighted. You make me feel guilty is another example of how language facilitates denial of personality, I'm, I'm sorry, personal responsibility for our own feelings and thoughts. Yeah, so when you say you make me angry, that's actually a false statement. That person just said or did what they just said or did. You decided, <laughs> even if it was, it was unconscious and split second, but you own your reaction. I hope that makes sense. You own your reaction. That other person cannot make you do anything. You own it. So that's, but, but it's very, easy to say you make me feel like this you you made me do this you know but that's not true that is absolutely not true okay 
Um, let's keep going. Here's another one. Um, in that he says, I believe it is in everyone's interest that people change, not in order to avoid punishment, but because they see the change as benefiting themselves. That's a big idea. That's, that's a great idea, by the way. So let me just read this again, because we have, we have a very punishment-oriented society, right? So you do or do not do things in order to avoid punishment. So he says, I believe it is in everyone's interest that people change not in order to avoid a punishment, but because they see the change as benefiting themselves. Okay? So it, you, you have to th- want to do it and think that it's good for you uh, just on your own, not because you're getting certain things or that you're not going to get certain things. So anyway, um, here's another one. We need to clearly observe what we are seeing, hearing, or touching that is affecting our sense of well-being without mixing in any evaluation. Oh, this is a very, very big idea. Let me say this again, or let me, let me, let me paraphrase this. Basically, in the in sim- in, in simplest form, observe without judging. Observe without evaluating. You might think you're able to do this, it actually takes a tremendous, tremendous presence of mind to be able to observe without evaluation or observe without judgment because we are taught to judge and evaluate everything around us. So to observe without Thinking, oh, this is good. Oh, this is bad. Oh, this is problematic. Oh, this is actually a better solution. You know, it, without any of those things entering into your head, you just observe without any sort of evaluation, judgment. Jiddu Krishnamurti, a famous philosopher, he actually said that being able to do that would be the highest form of human intelligence, is to be able to observe without judgment. So that's where a lot of meditation comes into place, where you work on being present and just not thinking about the future or the past or creating, uh, creating some alternate scenario. You're just present. You know? So observing without evaluation is a big, big deal. Okay, he says, the more directly we can connect our feelings to our own needs, the easier it is for others to respond to us compassionately. Hear that again. The more directly we can connect our feelings. So get in touch with our feelings or what our emotions are and the needs behind those feelings. Those two things. What are, you, what are your feelings and what needs do you have or is not being met that leads to those feelings? The more we can connect to that and express it, that will make things easier for others to respond to us in a compassionate way. So so it's not just something, nonviolent communication is not just something we do uh, to, towards other folks, we do it to ourselves too, in, in when we express ourselves. Okay, um, 
Let's see, what else did I highlight? I highlighted this happens often when people are used to, used to analyzing and blaming one another rather than clearly expressing what they need. What, what is he talking about? Um, okay, well, I think, I think that, uh, that idea is important. So, so we're so caught up in the debate and analyze and and you know uh, playing those kind of gotcha games and and the one-upmanship you know we are so used to analyzing and blaming and using that kind of methodology to try to resolve conflict it doesn't work he says it's much better if you rather express clearly what are the needs and unmet needs if those are discussed in a very real way then that can actually lead to to a much greater connection people will hear each other when you start talking about your needs okay um, and and uh, there's a list of needs, and I, I think I should, for the interest of this podcast, I think I should go into what these universal needs are, and you can just sort of you know hear it, and it, it won't it won't stick. I guarantee you, it won't stick in your head. Um, but I'll just go through it because uh, because you might think that certain things are needs, but um, but if it's not a need that that every human has then it's not a need it's a want <laughs> right. so so it's important to be able to distinguish these things um needs versus wants okay um let me read this this line here and then after that i will go into this list of of universal human needs all right so he says the moment people begin talking about what they need rather than what's wrong with one another, the possibility of finding ways to meet everybody's needs is greatly increased. I think that makes total sense. When we start talking about our needs, then it's very likely that the chances increase of everybody getting their needs met. When you're talking about what's wrong with each other, you're not going to get to those needs. You're, you're going to be play, playing the blame game. Talk about the needs. Okay, so that being said, here are the list of universal needs. And this is by Marshall Rosenberg, PhD in psychology, and he, you know, he is uh, considered you know, just a, a pivotal expert in this area. He's been, uh, like his, you should just look him up. His credentials are deep. So, um, so I, what, what I'm saying is you should kind of just accept that this, this stuff has been highly researched. You know, it's, it's not just him espousing his opinion. He has, he has done a lot of research, a lot of testing, a lot of uh, cross-examining with this, peer review, all this sort of stuff with this stuff. Um, all right, here we go. So here are universal needs. Uh, these are categories. Autonomy, to choose one's dreams, goals, values. To choose one's plans for fulfilling one's dreams, goals, values. Celebration, to celebrate the creation of life and dreams fulfilled. To celebrate losses, loved ones, dreams, etc. And even mourning. Okay, Th- those are a bit harder to kind of really wrap your mind around. Let me, the rest of these are pretty much one word ideas. Okay, in the category of the need for integrity. 
we have things like authenticity, creativity, meaning, self-worth, okay? In the category of interdependence, this is a big one. Interdependence, I think, is a really big one because it's about interaction with other people. Acceptance, appreciation, closeness, community, consideration, contribution, uh, emotional safety, empathy, honesty, um, love, reassurance, respect, support, trust, understanding, warmth. In the category of play, fun, laughter. In the category of spiritual communion, beauty, harmony, inspiration, order, peace. In the category of physical nurturance, air, food, movement, exercise, protection from life-threatening forms of life, viruses, bacteria, insects, predatory animals, rest, sexual expression, shelter, touch, water. So these are universal human needs, okay? Uh, so hopefully that gives you a picture and, and you know, you, you should hopefully start developing a, a differentiation between what needs are, actual needs are, versus what wants are. Um, so this is what Rosenberg calls having a needs literacy. So all those words that I list off, you have to kind of think on each word and really connect with it and understand it so that you have this literacy of needs. So when you're talking to someone or if you're just, you know, internally dialoguing with yourself to be able to identify like, ah, this is my unmet need that's leading to this feeling, you know? So having the literacy is very important. Because then it will, uh, it will help guide your communication and how to move forward. So here I highlighted this line, he says, but think how hard it will be for others to respond to our request if we're not even clear what it is, right? So if you're not clear about what your needs and feelings are, then it's going to be very difficult to make a request of what you're needing, uh, needing the other person to do or wanting the other person to do to meet your needs, Right? Does this make sense? I, th- I hope that that makes sense. Clear communication. Um, okay, here's another one. The use of nonviolent communication requires that we be conscious of the specific form of honesty we would like to receive and to make that request for honesty in concrete language. So, kind of same same thing. You you have to be you have to be very clear on uh, on what we want from the other person and to be able to articulate the need or the unmet need behind it, okay? Um, Let's see. Here's another one, requests versus demands. Oh, yeah, yeah, this is a good one. So our requests are received as demands when others believe they will be blamed or punished if they do not comply. So, you know, when when you just think of how you feel when a demand is made out of made for you versus a request, right? Okay. Um here's some more. 
the more we interpret non-compliance as rejection, the more likely our requests will be heard as demands. Yeah. So, uh, so if someone's not uh, doing what we request, then they're going to see that as a demand, right? That they have no choice in the matter. Um, we can help others trust that we are requesting, uh, not demanding by indicating that we would only want them to comply if they can do so willingly. This is the thing. They have, they have to want to do it, right? So that's why it's a request. And if they want to do it, then they, they take ownership of it. It's not like you're making them. Okay, let's talk about this one. He says, believing we have to fix situations and make others feel better prevents us from being present. Ah, this is a good one. So we have this sense because we've developed it because of our sociocultural programming at a young age that we have to fix problems. You know, believing we have to fix situations and make other people feel better prevents us from being present. So if someone's telling us about their problems and you might just think that they want you to give them advice and help them solve the problems, and they, they just might, but what they probably need more than that is for you to just listen. So to be able to just listen and sit with them when they tell you their problems you have this knee-jerk urge to be like, well, have you thought about this? Do you want to, maybe you should try this. Maybe you should contact, you know, versus like, you know, just listening to it and maybe reiterate. So, you know, and, and finding the feelings and needs and just being able to articulate that. So it sounds like you're feeling X because why wasn't happening? Is, am I understanding that right? You know, just even doing that, showing that they're heard can do a lot for someone. And they probably need that even more than the solution. They'll probably come up with a solution. Um, anyway, let's keep going. Um, when asking for information, first express our own feelings and needs. Uh-huh. People feel safer if we first reveal the feelings and needs within ourselves that are generating the question. So here he gives an example. So instead of asking someone, what did I do? We might say, I'm frustrated because I'd like to be clearer about what you're referring to. Would you be willing to tell me what I've done that leads you to see me in this way? Yeah. So, so we have to express if, you know, it's one of those things like you give to get, if that makes sense, you give to get. So talk about your own feelings and needs. And then once you do that, once you reveal that, then that might just create a sense of safety for the other person when you make the request and, uh, and, and try to go from their, uh, their vantage point. Okay, it may be necessary to provide ourselves with some emergency first aid empathy by listening to what's going on in ourselves with the same quality of presence and attention that we offer to others. This is a big, big deal what I just read. Let me, let me tell you what that really means, is doing nonviolent communication to yourself. That's huge. You have to give yourself empathy. So inside find what is your feeling. What are you feeling? For real, what are you feeling? And 
knowing that, okay, it's a feeling. Feelings happen because of some need or unmet need, right? That's what's going on. So identifying that feeling and the need and unmet need for yourself, that is a big deal. And that's something you can practice on a regular basis. What am I feeling? Okay, that's what I'm feeling right now. So what is my need or my unmet need base that has given rise to this feeling, right? So so doing it for yourself is a very, very important thing in order to be able to do it for other people, right? If the more you're able to do it for yourself, the more you can do it for other people. Okay, um, so empathy is a respectful understanding of what others are experiencing. We're not saying that you have to live in their shoes, but step in their shoes for a moment so you can understand what's going on. Um, so, okay, anyway, um, here's, here, this, this one I like a lot. The words good and bad are often used to describe feelings when people have yet to identify the specific emotion they're experiencing. So the words good and bad don't count as describing feelings. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. What does that even mean? <laughs> what, what does good mean? So he has a whole list of, uh, of feelings um, on page 44 and 45. And uh, he's got one page of uh, our feelings when our needs are being met. These are things like you know, uh, calm, carefree, cheerful, comfortable, friendly, fulfilled, glad, you know, it, I mean, it goes on and on and on. And then there's also a page of when needs are not being met, like distressed, disturbed, uh, lethargic, listless, fidgety, uh, bro- bored, brokenhearted, helpless, reluctant, rancorous, puzzled, despondent, et, et cetera, et cetera. So these are all lists of feelings. And again, this is what Rosenberg talks about of developing a feelings literacy and a needs literacy know these words so when someone says good is like what you know in a gentle way it's like well uh, or i'm not feeling very good or i'm feeling bad it's like okay um are you saying you feel uh you you feel ashamed because you know uh, so you try to extract out what the feeling and sometimes you just make guesses and then ask for feedback are you saying you feel helpless because whatever unmet need like no oh okay um are you feeling embarrassed because whatever you know so having those words of feelings is a very very important uh part of this process uh good the words good and bad they, those aren't feelings. <laughs> so, okay, I see I'm running out of time. So maybe in another podcast, I'll continue uh, reading through these things that I've highlighted. But I highly recommend this book. I hope you uh, like some of these these um, uh, areas that I've highlighted in Marshall Rosenberg's Nonviolent Communication. Um, it's really been a game changer for how I interact with myself, how I interact with others. I'm still very, very new to this process, but at least I'm at a point where I can check myself and be like, you know, I'm not really going after an on my feelings and needs or their feelings and needs in an honest way, you know. So let, let's break, let me, let me try again, you know. So, uh, so this, when you start understanding this stuff and, and you start absorbing it, you start thinking in terms of, wow, if I do this, 
It's way less um, aggressive. It's way less confrontational. I'm not trying to do cause any pain for anyone. It's the opposite. It's basically creating a sense of connection and harmony. And in the world of martial arts, everything is kung fu. That is what we're trying to do. I'm trying to do is create a sense of peace and harmony. And the way to do it is through this very nonviolent methodology of speaking and being. All right. Well, that's it. I went on and on and on. But I hope um, you liked some of that. I know I did. All right. We'll catch you next time. Bye.